My name is Rusty Mackey, and you're listening to The Art of Stability. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Listen, this is the last episode of season one of The Art of Stability. Thank you to everyone who's joined us thus far. And if you missed any episodes, feel free to go back and check them out. But before you do that, let me introduce you to today's guest, Steve Cuss. Steve has been married 25 years to Lisa. They live in Colorado with their three children. And Steve is a pastor who helps others navigate anxiety using systems theory. Steve has so much to offer, and much of that you can find on his website at stevecusswords.com, which is a pretty epic URL. In today's conversation, we discuss not taking yourself too seriously, anxiety over life transitions, and we talk about the gift of enjoying life in the moment. Stay with us and enjoy Managing Anxiety with Steve Cuss. Steve, one of the things that I've appreciated about you from afar, actually two things now that I think about it. Uh, one is your sense of humor. Uh, I really appreciate that, specifically uh, picking that up in your book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. Love that book, man. Recommend it to so many people. Uh, and I, I also love that it's so easy to listen to because mm-hmm. of your sense of humor. Uh, but I found with a lot of folks who have a strong sense of humor, they can use that to kind of avoid painful parts of their life. So the second thing I really value about you is that you seem to always have a fresh story of how you're struggling and working (laughs) to grow through (laughs) those struggles, you know? And I'm always amazed by how you navigate that because it's tricky to navigate sharing, you know, a struggle that you had with a person last week and to be able to share that publicly in a way that honors them. So I think you do uh, both of those things very well. You have a sense of humor. You also are able to process life in real time and yeah. digest your struggles. And I'd love to hear the story about uh, why do you think that's part of who you are? Well, what a great question. I've, I've never been asked that question before. So that's fun. Um, uh, part of it's being an Aussie. Um you know, Aussies, we come from English stock. I personally believe the English have the best humor in the world. Spike Milligan, Monty Python, that, you know, yes. boy, Richard, there's nothing like English humor. So Aussie humor it carries all that. So there is a sense where it's essential if you're an Aussie and in my family of origin. Definitely, there's what you said about masking pain. There's no question that my early humor was very pointed. Um, I had to make someone the center of my joke. Like there's some pretty dark side to it. So I think as I matured, discovering how painful that was for people, what I thought was fun, but not all of us were laughing. That was pretty humbling. Um, I think it took me a while to figure that out. Then uh, the the present tense stories, never being too far away from an anxiety story. I think I fundamentally don't believe we should ever graduate from being human. And I do know that my tone and posture, just I've been told, I just give the appearance that I don't struggle. Just the tone of my voice, the way I carry myself. I I don't think I'm being deceptive. It just is made that way, I guess. So it's really important for me to always let people know this is a present tense thing. I'm not the Dalai Lama. I'm not Yoda. Um, I'm in it. And, um, and my, that's why I called it managing leadership anxiety. I, sure. I had an early 
very polite fight with my publisher. Uh, it was one conversation to his great credit. He didn't fight hard, but he wanted it to be, you know, a guarantee of eliminating anxiety. That's how you sell a book. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. That's crazy. It's, it's not about eliminating, it's just about managing it, keep, keeping it from getting out of control. So yeah, I've, I'm never too far away from getting into trouble. Mm. When it comes to that recognition of people perceive me as having it all together, not struggling. And then, you know, you saying, yeah, I'm going to let you into the inner world. I'm going to let you behind the curtain. Yeah. Was there a moment in your life where it crystallized for you that I need to make this shift? What a great question. I, I think, I think I went through Bible college as my true self, but also very much with a persona, very much here's how I want people to perceive me, managing all of that. Uh, going from Bible college to chaplaincy is probably the fastest journey to strip away all the pretense. Wow. Especially my background was sales. I actually was a successful salesman for a few years before I went to college. I didn't go to college till I was 20. And uh, in Australia, in the company I worked for, I was one of the top salesmen in the country. Um, got lots of awards for it. And, and, and so, you know, that translates in ministry that you know how to work a room, you know how to, yeah. uh, the dark side would be manipulate, the positive side would be persuade. Yeah. Well, my goodness, you take a guy like that and you throw him in a room where there's unhinged grief. Hmm. Not only are those tools not helpful, they're the worst possible tools to reach for. Yeah. So to go from that to learning how to be fully human and fully present to people, um, I think that's where that journey first began. And then once I got a taste of that, I think it was like a drug for me. Hmm. It's like, wow, what if, what if, uh, because there's something about death, you know, when you are in the room with a dead body or when you're in the room with someone who's dying and they know they're dying and everyone in the room knows they're dying and your job is to let them die and to help everybody navigate that. that it's such, um, it's such holy ground. It, it's, it's extremely fragile and chaplaincy is all about restraint. Uh, before chaplaincy, I was all about taking charge. But chaplaincy is all about feeling the need to do something and restraining it. So if you ever watch a chaplain work, it looks like they're not doing anything, but they're working so hard because all of the internal impulse to say something, do something, manage something, if you do that, you're stepping on holy ground. You're like polluting it. Oh. Somewhere in there, that was the first time I'd ever uh, understood that. And I got it pretty quick. I understood that intuitively. Okay, here's what this requires. And then I think for me, Rusty, the liberation of being a human being rather than being a pastor or, uh, was wonderful. So then for me, it was like, well, can I carry that into the pulpit? Can I, can I shape a whole church around being human? And what I've discovered is, is it doesn't quench the Holy Spirit. You know, like the, the supernatural is still very much present, but um, being human in the pulpit, sharing my, my struggles rather than being the example of the follower of Christ, if I'm just the hungriest person in the room, uh, just it saves me a lot of pretense. I think my dark side would be pretense. Shadow side would be uh, performance. So it just kind of saves my idolatry, that kind of stuff. So good, Steve. It's interesting to hear the progression 
in what you just shared from the salesman who works the room to the Bible college student who, you know, you're living out of your true self, but you're kind of still working some of that out to chaplaincy (laughs) and the connection between uh, how powerful it is to work with those who are dying, the holy ground and how really through that process, it sounds like some of your false tendencies died as well. Um, and man, you know, I'm resonating with what you're saying as, you know, my training as a spiritual director, we talk about holy restraint a yes. lot, you know, yeah. because when you're working with the soul and deeper matters of the soul, it's like, you've got all these thoughts and things you want to say, but it's like, whoa, whoa, let's, let's not just say the first thing that comes into our heads. Let's ask yes. the Lord if we That's should, right. That's right. <laughs> if we should. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I didn't know that about chaplaincy and that, that desire to show restraint, um, Thank you for sharing that. That's that's powerful stuff. Um, Part of this podcast is hearing specific stories of uh, when folks have had struggles, instability in their life, and how they navigated that. And I'm sure that you may have a story, maybe from this past week. Who knows? We'll see uh, where you can share with us. Yeah, I think my most recent season, actually, I think it is. It's funny you mentioned this week. I think it is. I'm 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 three weeks out of transitioning after 26 years in full-time church leadership. I'm now very part-time as a pastor, and now I'm a full-time businessman. Um, I made the decision to launch a for-profit, not a non-profit organization. That was an intentional decision. And uh, okay, so... When my wife and I first started discerning this new call that we felt God had put in our life, it was all exciting. And then this, so this is 2020-ish. We bring the elders in. We all discern together. We clarify, okay, yes, it's time to transition. We announced to the church in March of 2021. All through those months, uh, lots of fear um, because I hadn't being an entrepreneur for years, like I did my sales work as a teenager. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and, and just the idea that can I really build a 20-year ministry on a modestly selling book? Like, hmm. uh, you know, the book itself won't generate enough income. So it's how I use the material from the book. Um, and then last fall, I think all of that fear came to rest. God, The doors that God was opening up were incredible. And then these last few weeks, it came back again, um, where I'm, I'm waking up at night again. And it, it's because I'm, uh, I'm not incompetent, but, but online marketing is a world that I, I understand the, the, the theory of it, but I don't know how to execute it technically. Sure. Um, as simple as, as any, any of your listeners who have ever shopped online and you leave maybe a shirt in a shopping cart and you never buy it. And then you get all these emails from that online. Hey, you want to finish the purchase? I, I can do all of that. I, I can chase people like that. Uh, I can stalk people on social media. And um, the current philosophy is, well, the market's so saturated, you kind of have to hound people into buying. But what I'm selling is lowering anxiety. So I can't use anxiety ethically yes. to sell that. It's a complete violation of who I am. And so I, I've been waking up lately like, man, how do I do this? Because mm-hmm. so, so that's present tense. And then I think further back, 
when I moved from an associate pastor to a lead pastor, I was so surprised that the pressure, it felt like a tenfold increase in pressure. Um, my identity suddenly became so wrapped up in the health of the church. Any mm-hmm. criticism against any aspect of the church I took personally. So that, that, that's been a, that was a 16 year battle for me. Uh, the first few years being very intense and then um, got better for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing a connection between trying to build something and the anxiety that's coming up. And then also the uh, battle in pastoral ministry where every criticism is hitting you. And I guess more than seeing a connection, I'm wondering, are you experiencing a similar dynamic with your ministry that you're building? Or has it been different for you where you're kind of finding yourself attached to how people are perceiving and engaging with what you're doing? Uh, I, I, I think because of my wiring and upbringing, my dark side is I've always wanted to be exceptional uh, or unique. Like when I was preaching more regularly than I do now, what I crave to hear from people is I've never heard it that way before. That, that would be like the ultimate compliment for my shadow side. Yeah. What's gotten really bizarre, even when I was younger, I used to have fantasies as a kid that I would die young for a great cause and everyone would gather around and what a guy, you know, it's like absurd. Even as I say it, I'm like, what in the world? But it's true. What's become really bizarre for me is I am unique. I, I, I don't say it arrogantly or with any pretense, but the, the set of experiences God has put me in and the way I'm wired has, has, forward something that no one else has ever done and now i'm in the world of systems theory there are a number of amazing systems theorists but we all have our own way and so i even as i say this i'm not unique i'm among many unique people but for sure what i offer there's no one else that offers it like me so it's been a really interesting phase that primarily my experience is um tremendous gratitude from people because i'm bringing relief and because I am so confessional, I think people feel seen. Uh, when I get up and share my foibles and, and challenges, they're like, okay, I'm not crazy and I'm not alone. Unlike pastoring, where all of that was true and also budgets and challenging staffing management situations, ridiculous criticism as well as correct criticism all in one, Um, people texting and saying, we need to meet and my mind saying, I'm in trouble. All of that side of it for now has gone away. And what I can't tell is if I'm in a honeymoon phase or if this is just reality, I'm, I'm the relief guy. And so I'm, yeah. I'm not generally going to be. And also my ministry is more back in the chaplaincy where I connect with people for a day or two and then we're done. That yeah. was chaplaincy. Chaplaincy was all about how do you bond deeply over five minutes? Whereas yeah. congregational life is, you know, in my case was 16 years. And yeah, still sorting all that out, I think. 
Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like, I mean, as well, just hearing your story, there's progression as as the Lord is helping you to descend. He's yeah. resurrecting goodness in you. And, and so naturally you would uh, process it differently than you would yeah. when you started uh, at your church's lead pastor. Yeah. How have you met Jesus in this new season of starting this new thing? I mean, I'm sure you're talking to him when you wake up at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> how, how have you met Jesus and, and what is Jesus? Uh, what has he been like to you in this season? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. Um, I I, <clears throat> I come from a faith tradition that doesn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We are intellectually driven. We come out of the Scottish philosophy of John Knox. That fits my need to protect my heart from God letting me down. So I tend to move to the intellectual. And so the last five years, God's really done a work on my life. But before five years ago, God would do amazing things in my life. And then I would discount it as not God. I look back on it. In the moment, I'm like, that's God. And then later I'm like, well, I could explain it rationally. And I really feel like in 2016, the Lord and I were doing some deep work. And I think God really challenged me. He's like, look, this isn't fair, this game you're playing. And really actually, Rusty took me back to chaplaincy where some of that pain was forged because eight or nine out of 10 prayers were answered no. Yeah. You, you think about a chaplain, you're, you're called into people's room. They're begging you to beg God for one more miracle. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to be crass, but the statistics don't line up. And so I think a year of that, you know, I mean, I attended to around 300 deaths that year. Then I went into seminary and I went to a theologically moderate seminary, very academically rigorous, incredible school. I loved my seminary. But the emotional letdown of chaplaincy and then the academic rigor of seminary taught me, I think, to never get my hopes up so God would never let me down. And intimacy, like it was a pure intimacy issue. You can't hurt me. In 2016, it's a long time, but that's when the Lord showed me that and I repented. So since then, it's been incredible. Um, And so I do have this tendency to say it's not going to work out. But the the tools I teach others really are forged out of what's worked for me. And what I teach people is your chronic anxiety sends you a gospel message that says God's nowhere to be found. It's all on you. So when I'm waking up at 3 a.m., I learn how to feel that sense of doom as an invitation to, to notice God. So that doom no longer becomes doom. It becomes a doorway. I don't mean to sound yeah. corny about it, but yeah. it's like, okay, Lord, I'm feeling that doom that you're not here. It's not true. Um, yeah. Colin Powell and Henry Cloud both say, three a, and, and the early church fathers, dark night of the soul, don't trust the 3 a.m. Like, so I've learned to be suspicious of the 3 a.m. <laughs> um, yeah. This morning, I, I was up this morning worried, and um, my dog Brody he's taken now to deciding that he wants to sleep in three places through the night. So he was knocking on my door at 4 a.m. And then I get up to let my dog in and then he jumps and lays across my pillows. I'm isolated from my wife right now. She's has COVID. So I'm in the oh, guest no, room. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's fine. And she's fine and everything's fine, but I'm in a guest Good. room sleeping by myself and giving her our, our main room. And Brody just sleeps like he lays where I'm now up against the wall. 
And it was a gift. He's a, he's a gift from God to me and just having my hand on his floppy ears and, okay, Lord, well, you know, what if you actually brought Brody in to remind me of your goodness? Um, because what's true in the last year is the doors that God has opened for my new ministry, I would be incapable of opening myself. Yeah. Um, it's been incredible. And the favor I've received has been unbelievable. So that was a very long answer, but that's what I would say. It's a sweet answer though. And I loved you talking about, you know, feeling the doom as an invitation to the Lord. It makes me think of St. Ignatius with his consolations and desolations, Yes, you know, the, and how much of uh, kind of American Christianity is, oh, we experience God through the highs and the joys, but St. Ignatius is wonderful uh, insight as God speaks to us through the desolations, through the doom of waking up at three in the morning and use the word invitation. I love that. Yeah. I, I think it was Frederick Beekner. I may be wrong, but I think it was Beekner that I believe he was even on Larry King. And I may have this wrong, Rusty, but he was saying, I'm the kind of person that someone says, look, there's a rainbow, there's God. And I say, well, there's a tornado. And until I can find God in the tornado, not in that he caused it, but that he's in it, mm -hmm. God's no good to me at all. And I, I Beekner yeah. became a, a life source for me through chaplaincy. Um, mm -hmm. that, that willingness to look at the darker shades, see the goodness of God, be unafraid, um, that's been life for me. Yeah, that is life-giving when you can come to that place. Steve, what are some things right now, some maybe practices or just experiences that are helping you really enjoy Jesus these mm. days? Yeah, I, I've always had a love affair with theology. And because I've mm. been a preacher, it can get tainted by the deadline of the pulpit. I am really enjoying reading theology without the pulpit deadline. I'm three, three weeks in. When I go back to the church, I'll probably preach once a month, but no longer that primary voice. So just the joy of reading people talking about God and, and for myself, that's been a great joy. Um, I have a grad degree in theology and I just I discovered uh, recently, what, what if I try to find, you know, a hundred ways that God's good, not just in the Bible. So I, I've actually cultivated, I teach this to my people, a, a, a life-giving list. And right now, I think I have 136 items on it. And wow. everything on that list is a gift from God to me. Wow. Uh, what I challenge church leaders particularly is when we think of the gifts of God, we think of um, spiritual gifts, the conduit that we pour out. But what if we just made a list of gifts that God gave just me, Steve? I don't get to use them for my congregation. So I don't know if you can see in the light, but my guitar is over there on the wall. Oh, love that's, that. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old kind of Gretsch electric guitar. And so just picking it up and playing for a few minutes, mm -hmm. the gift of music, or if you, the, the micro gifts of God, my dog's floppy ears, my wife's holding my wife's hand. But also you mentioned Ignatius. I'm in an Ignatian prayer community right now. I'm under mm -hmm. spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, that came to me. I didn't seek it out. They there's a There's a local group that, offers spiritual direction for faith leaders and they offered it right as I was starting my transition and it was such a wow. gift from God. So we gather in a small group, we do retreats, but then I'm also under a spiritual director 
And um, it's funny, our last theme was Consolations and Desolations. And the one before that was the false self. And all of that has been a gift, God's goodness to me. Yeah. When it comes to those micro, uh, did you say micro gifts? Is that what you called them? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that phrase. When it comes to the micro gifts, the floppy ears, the holding your wife's hands, uh, as, as you're in that moment, is it for you that you're able to be aware and pay attention and be conscious of Jesus in that moment? Or is it like you have to then create time later to reflect on it? I'm a fan of in the moment. I obviously my field is chronic anxiety. Um, Chronic anxiety is a particular scientific form of anxiety. It's different than trauma and grief. It's different than life and death, which is known as acute anxiety. Chronic anxiety is generated by false belief and false assumptions, whether it's from within you or whether it's someone placing it on you. So a lot of people are anxious because somebody in their life has a false belief about them or a false expectation on them. This is why pastors carry so much anxiety because so many people have false belief about them. And two forces that displace anxiety clinically are love and laughter. Mm -hmm. And so I find it helpful to, to, Uh, What I'm trying to do is trip over the goodness and love of God 15 times a day. I have a candle. uh, It burned out today. I need to go buy a new candle. And uh, here I am in my podcast studio. I just simply light the candle and just a a little prayer to remind me that God is as close to me as this this, uh, flame. It's a simple, so so I believe in in the moment, holding my wife's hand, uh, being knee deep in a trout stream, playing some Paul Simon on my guitar. To me, what works is just poor. It's sometimes it's 30 seconds. Thank you, Lord. That because I'm a human being and I'm not a zebra, you've given me as a human, the gift of noticing beauty. And my wife is beautiful. Yeah. And the sound of guitar music is a beautiful sound. And, and I just want to thank you that you gave it to me. And it's very hard for me to stay in anxiety's grip when I'm worshiping. So um, that's how I use the micro experiences. And then sometimes I use them to displace anxiety when I'm really caught up or pull out my life-giving list because anxiety, um, it, it, it actually clinically shrinks your imagination. You get into rigid thinking, black and white. So if you've already done your homework and collected a list, you don't have to wonder what to do. You can just pull out your list and pick some things off the list. So I've done that too, where I, intentionally use my list to displace something I'm worried about. So good, Steve. How have you experienced your spiritual direction group in regards to, do you find it helping you to grow in this ability to pay attention and stay present to the moment? Or is there a different way that you're experiencing God's goodness through that? I think our particular group happens to be split by gender. Uh, So for me, it's a bunch of guys. Um, I operate in a church where we co-lead, men and women co-lead together. My my chair and vice chair of our elders are both women. But in this case, it's a group of guys. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. I love that we're not all in local church ministry. We're in different fields. And I love how that equalizes us because I'm often seen differently in a room because I'm a pastor. But in that room, I'm not. I'm just Steve. I feel very loved by those men. Um, 
I feel very seen by them. And so I feel seen by God and loved by God. I do think mm. there's something powerful about the hands and feet of Christ. And then our, our spiritual director, his name's Howard. He's been in spiritual direction a long time. In fact, he's close to retiring. He's, he's just very attentive to, so we meet one-on-one and then we also have small group meetings. Uh, same feeling, feel seen and loved by Howard and God through Howard. So the whole experience has been a gift. In this particular case, I'm probably being a bit specific, but they they got a Lily grant to do this. It's a 12-month or nine-month experience. And so it's not opulent. It's not wealthy. But I was expecting it to be austere. I've I've done I've done monastery retreats that I love. I'll go chant with some nuns up the road at a Benedictine monastery. And when I go have lunch, there's two boiled hot dogs waiting for me. It's very it's a vow of poverty, <laughs> and it's yeah. good. Um, this is the opposite. They they feed us lavish meals, um, and it's an intentional lavishness experience. So that's been a delight and a surprise. I thought it would be the other way. I thought it would be a sphere sure. and fasting, but it's feasting and opulence, mm-hmm. and that's been incredible. Which hits all of the things you mentioned, you know, the decreasing of anxiety through laughter, through love, uh, the feasting, the celebration, the micro blessings, the micro graces from God. Oh, it's really beautiful. It's amazing how God brings about these moments of unexpected surprises of grace in our lives to help us in ways that we didn't even know how to ask for help. Uh, And Steve, I feel that way about you. You know, your work came along for me at a time where it's like, man, this is this is so eye-opening and helpful. You're a grace and a gift to many. So thank you so much for your work and thank you for joining me on the show today. Mm, You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like and share it with others if it benefited you. Your likes, shares, and subscribing to the show helps others learn about it. To learn more about Steve's work and pick up some free resources, be sure to head over to stevecusswords.com. You can also find and follow him on Twitter under his Twitter handle at Steve Cusswords. As I mentioned earlier, this is the last episode of season one. If you have any thoughts about season one or recommendations of who you want to hear on season two, email me at rusty at steadfastmen.com. That's steadfastmin.com. The Art of Stability is a production of Steadfast Ministries. The cover art was created by Brian Bim. Music created and performed by Rob Main. And the music was recorded and produced by the Asterisk Company. Again, thank you for joining us for season one of The Art of Stability.